Whether our goals are related to our personal or professional lives, having a coach in your corner can be the difference between achieving those goals or not. Hear from the business, health, and life coaches who care about putting you on a path towards success on the Coach's Corner Podcast. Today, I'm joined by life coach, Alyssa Pajoli. Alyssa, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So you are a life coach, which I think is awesome because of the way that you explained it prior to jumping on the, the podcast of exactly how you take this approach. But before we jump into that, tell me about how you got into coaching in the first place. Yeah. So I spent 10 years managing corporate fitness centers, running programs, teaching group X, and there was one common element in all the conversations that I was having, and that was that people, middle management and up, really had this underlying lack of support, feeling resentful, lonely, undersupported, and and really just wanting to focus on the physical element of who they are. Like they would come down and bust ass on the treadmill in classes and training, but then they would still f- feel this lack of connection, this lack of uh, being overly or overwhelmed with how they felt with their life, not being fulfilled, feeling resentful that they're not doing something on purpose. So my original intention in becoming certified as coach, as a coach was to bring it within the organizations that I was already managing. However, large corporate America already has these incentives or benefits within their HR departments or their insurance. So long story short, I got certified and was like, you know what, I'll just take it and bring it on my own. And from there, I've really just transitioned in the last six and a half years to coaching people uh, through my own LLC or organization around, you know, life, leadership, connection, emotional intelligence, um, stress management to really help them be able to live their authentic lives and authentic selves while really bringing in the attentionality of their core values. That's awesome. And, you know, it sounds like from just the way you kind of brought it up was that people were almost at their end, right? Or at this, they've reached the, the limit of what they can handle and now they're expressing it outward to you and, and maybe even not in the context that you know was was conducive for that right like you're more physically focused as opposed to mentally focused but I'm assuming somehow some way that comes out in the context of you training them or whatever that looked like right yeah and that's the beautiful thing about you know physical fitness or having a personal training relationship, you you develop that, you have conversations, and you really then can connect to someone on a mental or emotional. Because just think, anyone who goes to the gym, you are putting yourself in an uncomfortable state because you're pushing, you're connecting with your body, you're going to get sweaty, you're going to be in different clothes, especially in a corporate setting, right? Mm-hmm. Even going down to the gym and being willing to put on workout clothes and sweat and go back up or see your teammates or people from different you know, organizations in a different way, it takes a lot of courage just to get down there in the first place. But then to feel that frustration of like, you're not seeing the results you want, you're not benefiting it, you're not feeling like you're less stressed, or you're just going through the motions on an automated way. Um, yeah, it, it subconsciously and naturally will come out in conversations. Absolutely. And I think it also, as, as I've heard in the past, you know, you hear uh, people that are struggling mentally, like, oh, just go to the gym and, you know, you'll feel better. But then you do. And without that mindset, it can not give you the exactly the results you want if you're seeking more that 
just physical fitness alone can provide, right? Absolutely. I think a great way to describe that is like the lacking of intention. If you're a stressed out executive and you spend the majority of your day in a sympathetic state, which is fight, flight, or freeze, but then you go down and you think, okay, I only have 30 minutes. I'm just going to run my ass off on the treadmill and then that's going to be good enough. What you're not understanding and realizing is that cardio or running in and of itself is a very like taxing exercise so you're causing more stress you're (laughs) yes so it's stress on top of stress and where yes it's better than nothing it's really about the ability to be able to connect to yourself be aware of and taking ownership of what are you thinking how is it making you feel and based on how it is you're feeling are the actions that you're doing bettering your situation are they useful or useless and this is where a like a mindfulness and self-awareness is is important but then also having that ability to emotionally regulate is just something we're not taught as humans to be able to successfully execute um and it's not something that happens subconsciously so it is a very conscious effortful practice that uh we as humans just i believe get to get better at yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it only comes from the fact that no one really did teach us that. You didn't, you know, take a course in it growing up, and it's almost like you're supposed to know how to be human, right? And so you go through life learning almost all the other things that don't matter as much um, or are very surface level, and then to get to this point where you're an adult, and you're freaking out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like you come into the rescue. So what does that look like as far as, you know, an approach that you take for those that, um, you know, are new to coaching. I've never had a coach. And, and, and one of the problems I hear just quite often is that individuals don't know how to reach out and ask for help to begin with, right? So how does that conversation begin with you? How do you start exploring, um, even just clarifying values, things that you've, you've already touched on? I think the first and foremost, the most important thing is to understand that like, if you're not willing to get help, how can you expect someone to help you? And that in and of itself says a lot about what you believe within your self-worth. So a lot of the times people think that, oh, if I just give, 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 or I push through. If you're unwilling to invest in yourself or get help, it says a lot about what you are prioritizing. And in and of itself, what is that say? Like a lot of the times it says that you don't, you don't love yourself, you don't accept yourself, you don't, you don't have self-worth that is really like bleak to say and you know with values i often find that people are not connected to the values they don't understand uh maybe you know 15 or 20 years has passed and they don't they've not really connected because they've been so busy providing for their family or they've been in a marriage for 10 or 15 years and this is just the way it's always been so first and foremost in any coaching practice or any coaching partnership it's really about helping someone get clear on what it is they actually want like who are you being what's working what's not working what do you want and then getting clear and solidifying what those values or those goals are from a space that you can have accountability and it's actually measurable because one of the common themes also in all humans is that a we're disconnected we're living automated b we don't know our core values and c we don't have any accountability we don't want accountability especially on ourselves because if we don't follow through or we fail, like it's on us. And a lot of the things with coaching then too is it's intangible. So you have this whole concept of like, well, if I at least invest in 
you know, a personal trainer, I'm going to go to the gym and then hopefully I'll see muscle or Hmm. I'll lose weight. With coaching, it's all about mindset. It's all about relationship building, consciousness, awareness. Um, One of the biggest things I work with my clients on is the ruler method, which is recognizing how it is you feel, being able to understand where it comes from, how long it's been there, what's contributed, label it, get your name of that emotion. And I'm not talking just the six primaries, like there's primary, there's secondary, and then there's tertiaries. If you can't get out into that third tertiary wheel, you really are not connected to how it is you're feeling, which it requires a lot of emotional literacy. Like you have to become educated on what emotions are out there so you can label them. Then you get to express them. And how is that expression? Is it through writing? Is it through conversation? Is it through meditation? Who knows? But then regulating. And regulating is the number one key that really makes or breaks relationships, period. If you are not able to do those first four or five steps, I don't know how you navigate through life and relationships. I mean, I think that's why there's a lot of failed relationships, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's prevalent. And what do you find as far as, you know, the, well, the learning, I mean, you're, you're, you're breaking down into steps, you're having to explain this, but this awareness of where people are at and what, to your point of, you know, just identifying some of those things that, yeah, if you do ask even just the simple question, like, what do you want? What does he want out of life? And people just look at you like, mm-hmm. you know what? I really don't know. And so, you know, my personal belief, and doesn't mean that it's everyone, but it comes as programming that you often want things that others want for you. And that could be the way that, you know, you've been advertised to. It could be taken on or pleasing everybody else, right? But this notion of going back to yourself, what is the biggest hesitation that you have uh, from your clients or from, you know, just in general that you've seen that people push back or what I like to say is argue for their limitations, right, or fight for their limitations? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And I call it the the domestication of identity. And it's very similar of like as children or any relationship that we're in, we are essentially taught what's right, wrong, good, bad, and then we create this identity. So the number one thing that I really work to help my clients with is their language patternings. Whenever I have a person that's like, I I need to, I have to, I should, it's like, whoa, 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 like that's not true. And where does that come from? Is, why do you feel you need to? Um, and a lot of the times because uh, corporate professionals are often providers, it's really about helping them gain the courage and the the practice of putting themselves first or putting themselves as equals to their families. And, you know, the oxygen mask analogy is a wonderful thing to like always connect with of like how often in your day or in your life do you put your oxygen mask on you first so that you can take care of others? Because actions are different than intentions. And intention is the ability to choose how you want to think, feel, and act. And I don't feel a lot of people Uh, especially my clients, are living from a space of intention because they don't feel they have the choice. And we always have the choice. So language patterning and being able to say, you you don't need to, you get to. Not you should, I could. I have to, mm, I would like to. 
It's really about getting clear because your words create things. Your words create your reality. So um, as soon as you can get clear on your language patterns, um, things automatically start opening up because of the accountability. It's, yeah, and and there's always a hesitation, isn't there, though, when people start, like it's almost like they, they don't know how to speak anymore because as they become aware of it, they catch themselves saying those things that it's like, oh, mm, right? Shoot, yeah. Yeah, and, but it's taking you back to being present is what I'm hearing too, that as you become aware, you become more present and, you know, those thoughts, especially fear, right? Like I think in order for courage to exist the way you've described it, fear has to be present and overcoming that fear, right? Do you find that oftentimes those things that people do and, and call it doing for others, but it doesn't come from necessarily a self, less place but rather a fearful place of fearing losing the relationship or yes. feeling like if I'm not enough and or doing this then I won't be liked that it comes from not that intentional you know again selflessness but rather from a fear-based um, emotion yeah and whenever we have fear right like false evidence appearing real fear is like a very wonderful thing that we all get to have because it allow it gets us it allows us to check in and be able to utilize our mind in getting clear on what it is we're really scared of. And then we can always say, you know, the likelihood of that actually happening is not. So, you don't, there's nothing to really fear here. Um, one of the things I feel though, too, is even coming from that space of, you know, I got to do this or I got to do this, it seems as if it's selfless, it's servicing. But if it doesn't make you feel good and if it doesn't benefit it benefit you, it's like what is the intention behind doing something that you are aware of or are willing to say, this makes me feel bad yeah. or this doesn't make me feel good. Again, the presence and the awareness of why we do what we do is very telling to the thoughts we're thinking, whether we're aware of it or not. And you are spot on with that. There's so much conditioning in the domestication process that people feel they have to be a certain way because of what they've read, they've seen on TV, they've grown up inheriting. So it's like every person within every moment of every day gets to have an opportunity to change their trajectory of who they are, but not a lot of people are willing to actually think about that and and really honor that gift instead it's a lot easier to stay in a fear-based state because then you have excuses yeah and and you know i know you're a parent also and um <clears throat> that as a parent you become aware of just you know wanting to protect kids and it does not just extend to, to, to parent-child relationship but just in general how we're like a culture of um don't do that you know and like color within the lines and there's a right and wrong way to do things and i think by the time you get to a certain age you don't realize it but you're almost acting out of that fear of screwing up right and, and there's no um safe space to make mistakes it seems like uh, at least you know from what i see that that that's really the experience that um most people have had growing up like stay within the lines you know stay within the lane stay don't that's don't do the domestication do. yep, yeah right. it's the, the domestication right mm -hmm. so tell me how how does one one identify that and say, yep, you know, I, I get it. Like, we all kind of have that story. But two, how do you evolve past that and start living a freer life? 
Yeah, I think as an adult, the playfulness, the ability to be playful is a large, it's going to be a very telling skill of are you living, like, how rigid are you? And wow, that's, wow, that's deep. <laughs> and when it's when you think about it, because children, you know, children up until the age of three are beautiful because they only can they live. They get ugly. If, <laughs> well, no, <laughs> like, no, after that, they're so ugly. We just do it. <laughs> no, no I'm teasing, I'm yeah, teasing, I'm it's because they live off from a space of, like, intuition and exploration. And, and innocence, right? Like, innocence. And so when you say that whole... Um, that we live in this fear base and that we're living a person. Yeah, your innocence is stripped because you've been told so many times not to do this or not to do that or you should do this. So every time that happens, um, if you've ever read the book uh, Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz, he talks about how that's like literally every time that happens, a strip of innocence is taken from you. And then what's left is just like this very robotic, like right. rigid way of living. So um, as adults, one of the things I like to do because as an adult, you we are more analytical, or at least I am. So I have a couple exercises that I really like splay out and I have people gauge like how satisfied they are in like elements of life, whether it's joy, like education, physical activity, connection and intimacy, getting clear of, A, let's get a visual of how satisfied or unsatisfied you are in quote-unquote parameters of life. Then it's a matter of, okay, great, the buckets that are not fill full, we get to play. We get to create ways and strategies to allow this to be a more full, even picture. Um, and playfulness is also a very difficult thing because <laughs> – it requires vulnerability. It requires right. curiosity, vulnerability. Um, and admitting that you don't know things, right? Because then yeah. if you're curious about them, then now you have to admit almost that. Well, and you have to be, and that's maybe that's a good action step for anyone that's listening to do. It's like, okay, I want you to identify like really strong characteristics that you believe in about yourself. Like just two. Pick two characteristics that you identify yourself as and then challenge yourself to act the opposite for like a week and see how that feels. Because again, this is where you can really call out the conditioning of, you know, oh, I'm a person that uh, I always show up early. I always have my, you know, eyes dotted, my T's crossed. Like I am like proper, proper, it would be way different if I showed up late or I showed up to a Zoom room with, like, uh, stuff on my face or, like, yeah, whatever. Um, And, again, that is a good way to practice calling out, like, calling out the domestication or the identity that, like, isn't really you. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz also says, like, the moment you can stop – um, like it's a quote that like pretty much says the moment you can stop thinking about how to be yourself is the moment that you're free. Like when you can start, stop living from a space of like, you think you should be doing this or this is how you got to be. That is when you're being yourself. Man. I mean, <laughs> that's the way you put it though. I think it just makes so much sense is when you take life seriously, you almost solidified this identity that is so rigid that. It has no flexibility to be anything else. That in order for it to change, you like you literally have to let go of all of it. 
it's contractive. Yeah. And and contractive is like one can say it's stable or it's secure, but it's not. It's a fallacy of feeling safe. Like yeah. Like safe doesn't is not real. Mm-hmm. Like there's yeah, and I think one of the points that you had mentioned too is just how uh, before we got on the podcast was like people think they're going to have tomorrow like it's promised and then you know you're living life as if you have a hundred, another 100 years left like time isn't valued in that way and it's it's also understanding like that you just don't know like <laughs> there's so many unpredictables and i think once you at least for me i don't know how how you ever how you relate to that but i've heard that the the, the more you think about your your limit you know which is your death if you will that it one humbles you, but two, it, it it makes you appreciate time and and your existence on Earth. Like, how do you how, how do you translate that? How do you you know share that with your clients? How do you even incorporate that into your own life to to know that tomorrow is not promised? It's really and it's again understanding someone's relationship with time is like the first. It's one of the top five most important things to get on a client's map because. Time is the most consistent relationship we'll ever have as humans. Like yeah. it never stops, it never slows down. So, like for people who always say, I don't have enough time, or I don't like bullshit. No, you do. Mm-hmm. And you can really get clear on how a person respects time by the way in which they associate with time. And the way to figure that out is to really get clear on what is someone's crisis. Per- like parameter. Um, a lot of the times my clients have very unhealthy parameters with what is urgent and what is a crisis. For example, um, in order to make change in work, maybe it's like losing a job or maybe it's becoming diagnosed with a sickness or maybe it's getting in a car accident to make them like wake up. Um, so true though. And so it's important to know that even like if that's okay, that's exercise number two from this podcast. Like what is your parameter? Like, what is your threshold to know when it's it's a crisis, when something is urgent? And I want you to cut that in half. So if your urgency level is like, oh, I have to um, get a new job or this or that, it's like, okay, by you know, I can be in this job until the rest of the year. No, cut it in half. Start looking for a job now so you can be in something four months. If it's like, oh, I'll start going to the gym or get a personal trainer when I hit, you know, 200 pounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so based on where you are now, if you're at 150 and 200, no, like cut it in half. And the goal or if your ideal is 150 and 200, cut it in half. Get into action because, again, by cutting, by getting in the practice of cutting our crisis parameters or our urgency parameters in half, one, we'll be more respectful of time, and two, It'll get us into action much sooner so that our relationship with time is much healthier. And we then are living a more present way of being. All great advice. So at least two actionable steps there. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's much, much more to that. I know there is. So um, you know, I'm excited to, to hear more about what the vision in the future looks like for you since, you know, one, it's filled with courage already. I mean, that's part of your your brand, but you know, what does, what does the future look like for, for you, for your clients, for your business? You know, right now I have a mix of like a lot of one-on-one, um, and 
I'd like to be able to expand that more because one-on-one where I love it and it's intimate and it's like that's where I'm comfortable it's a matter of creating more memberships and or courses for people to be able to do um I don't know I've not really dabbled into like the event space but I think it would be fun again coming from when you are a coach and you're literally spending half your hours over zoom and people are crying or talking about things they don't like about themselves thinking about oh yeah let's host an event is kind of like I don't know about that but um yeah I just I'm, I'm really excited with the pandemic opening back up just to be able to reach more people be able to get in face to face if that's something that um they want and just be able to like continue to expand and grow because every client I have I learn something about myself and I think that's also like the greatest gift that this profession gives me so just expanding creating more um, either group opportunities maybe a couple events um, and memberships so that I can maximize my time and services to to, to help as many people as possible. Well, you're doing a great job and I've been so impressed with everything. So, so thank you, you know, for coming in, sharing your story and just for helping people uh, evolve past their, you know, limited, limited view of themselves. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.